You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 85 for Monday the 16th of October 2017. My guest on today's show is Craig Martell, whose books range from dystopian science fiction to fast-paced and in-depth techno-thrillers. He's taken his more than 20 years of experience in the Marine Corps, his legal education and his business consulting career to write believable characters living in the real world. Craig is an extremely prolific self-published author and one of the names behind the very successful 20 Books to 50K brand. Through a bizarre series of events, Craig and his wife ended up in Fairbanks, Alaska, where they now get to watch the Northern Lights from their driveway. When Craig and I chatted for the podcast, I started by asking him what first made him start tapping out stories at his keyboard. Because I had retired from my second gig. I retired from the Marine Corps when I was 39 years old, and I needed to do something, so I went. To, I, I put myself through law school, and then I worked as a – once I graduated law school, I worked as a business consultant. It, it helps being a lawyer as a business consultant because you can get into the corner office. You've got some uh, bona fides. I did that until the travel was just too intense. I, I was gone 50% of my life for the entire time I was a business consultant, and I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I did that while I was in the Marine Corps. and. Now I was doing it in private life, and it, it wasn't optimal. I was old enough. We had enough money, so I, so I retired, and my wife is a professor at the university here, and I started, well, let me, let me clean up this yard. Let's make this yard. We have two acres and make it as great as it can be, so I got this big burn pile, and I'm going to light it on fire, and I lit myself on fire, and, and I'm, I'm rolling around in the snow thinking this sucks, and I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. So I went back in the house, and I'm, I'm like, I need to do something because I, I, I'm very active. <clears throat> uh, so I'm like, hey, let me – I always want to write a book. Now it's time. I'm going to write a book. So that was uh, just under two years ago, October 4th, 2015. I sat down to write my first book, and 61 days later, I had a 100,000-word novel. That's incredible. We'll dig into how you did that a little later on. I just want to look at your your – pre-writing life a little bit if we may because um, one of the things I've noticed I, I've talked to a couple of people now uh, Dave Chesson is an example Justin Sloan who I think is within your circles as well um, who've had military backgrounds and, and I'm interested yep. whether the discipline of the military makes the writing easy you went from zero to 100k um, in 61 <laughs> days that's pretty incredible most <clears throat> people couldn't do that do, do you think it lends something to the profession I think so. Uh, in the in the military, it's to a, to the outside observer, you'd think it's about following orders, standing by, uh, hurry up and wait. And there's plenty of that. However, if you are internally driven and self motivated, you can always find something to do besides the hurry up and wait and keep yourself busy. And uh, I, I was a commissioned officer, like Dave Chesson. He uh, uh, carries a lot of responsibility. Uh, Justin was in the Marine Corps, but he wasn't like a frontline, uh, a rifleman where 
they have their mission, they have their focus, but their efforts are team oriented. Justin was in a uh, in a supporting group where he had to do this do the work himself. So I think that that self discipline to get on it and get that work done. Now that being said, uh, Colonel Jonathan Brazy, another very prolific uh, science fiction author, he was he was a uh, 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 what we call combat arms. And he also is self uh, self motivated, driven, and writes great stories. I think that I think there's a benefit to that discipline, and and anybody can do it. It's just we have it beaten into us uh, more so than uh, uh, than your average Joe. The other thing I, I put to Justin when I chatted to him is that, uh, but also you're all very big on collaboration, and of course, being in the forces. You've got to get on with people. You've got to work with people, and you've been working with different people all the time. Uh, again, I'll put it to you. Do you think that you know is a benefit in your writing life? I think so because you had to. You couldn't lone wolf it, no matter what the movies and Rambo shows. You can't, that's not how it works. You have to count on people, even if it's the helicopter pilot who drops you off. You have to count on that guy or girl to drop you off and then come back and get you. Even more important, and, and you're always with a team. You need somebody there. Uh, it is a great lesson to learn. It's a good life lesson. You see a lot of uh, corporations nowadays, and as a business consultant, I did this team building exercise exercises. Somebody can be the best in their job, but if they're not making those around them better, they're not helping you as a company. As an author, you're going to write your own books. However, if you can build a circle of supporting actors, uh, supporting authors who are successful on their own but then you get with them it only makes you better you get you get quality critiques of your work you get an increase in your production because now two of you are writing and it it works really really well and also of course you then had your legal education and the legal profession is well known for its attention to detail which again i can see lending itself perfectly to your later writing career In, in the marine corps i was an intelligence officer and that is what made law school – I thought law school was easy because of uh, uh, being in intelligence. You get overwhelmed. You get this massive volume of information. You need to read it, digest it, and then put it into a digestible chunk of information that then you promote in one way or another. You go to the, the uh, commanding general and you say, hey, we need a course of action based on this. Here's this intelligence. Uh, when I went to law school, it was all exactly the same. You have this massive volume of information that you get. You have to gin it down into something you can defend based on uh, uh, precedence. So it, uh, it seemed to work the other way. So law school was an out was a, uh, 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 let's say, a natural following of my time in the military. Great. So – you sat down to write this 100,000-word book, which would frighten the life out of most people. What's very clear when I, I read about you online is that you you always had a book in your hand by the sounds of it. So this is this is pre-Kindle days, of course. So you've obviously got yes. a love of fiction. Uh, does that stem from childhood as well? Yes. Uh, I was the youngest. My brother was eight years older than me, and I had two sisters in between. And so I spent a lot of time alone. Uh, by myself because I, I like science fiction because my, my brother likes science fiction. So I, I'm of the age where we watched the new Star Trek uh, when they first came out back in the 60s. We wa- I got to watch those when they when it was a new episode. And in Iowa, where I grew up, 
reading was taken very seriously, uh, the reading levels. Uh, it, all through school, they forced books on us. We had to read them. Uh, we had to do book reports. And it was really, really managed well. Uh, I'm sorry that it's not that way nowadays. I hope it is in some areas still because uh, in ninth grade, hey, here's The Hobbit. I looked at that. That was the thickest book. I'm like, oh, my God, look at this book. But once you start reading it, hey, The Hobbit is such a great story. So uh, a shout out to J.R.R. Tolkien and that because that was the first real length book that I got into and could enjoy it for its its magnitude of the story. I read all the Robert E. Howard, the uh, uh, Conan series that he wrote originally, and that was that was great, great fantasy. But J.W.R. Tolkien made it an art, and then uh, Anne McCaffrey also her stories uh, when it hit late sixties, early seventies, as they came out, the Dragon Riders of Pern. What what excellent prose and excellent storytelling where you could just disappear into that story. So that yes, I, I grew up with that, and I'm always still looking for that first high of reading The Hobbit for the first time or reading Dragon Riders of Pern for the first time. So while you were immersed in those fantasy worlds and that wonderful TV, how lucky to watch Star Trek the first time round. That's a real life experience. Um, were you thinking about writing during that time, or were the things completely separate? Actually, uh, the adage of if you can't find the story you want to read, you have to write it. I wrote a book in geez, seventh or eighth grade. We went on vacation to Myrtle Beach, and it was me and my sister, and, and she went to the beach, and I didn't have my – I went to the beach, sure, but it was still just me. So I wrote a book on, on vacation. It was I think it was 30,000 words because I was looking for something more than a novella. I wanted to write a novel, so I hand-wrote it on all these notebooks and disparate pages, and, and so – I've always had that love of, of telling a story, uh, and as an intelligence officer, many many people accuse me of telling stories as opposed to relating intelligence, but that's that's a different story. <laughs> yes, however, whatever I'm doing at the moment, I try to give it my full attention. So while in the Marine Corps, I did Marine Corps stuff. While as a lawyer, I did lawyer stuff. While as a business consultant, I did business consultant stuff. I focused on the uh, on the client, and I gave them 100% of my focus. So that's when I when I tried to light myself on fire and, and, and survive that. Then writing, hey, I want to write a book. I gave it 100% of my focus. And maybe that's a uh, uh, some self-discipline that the Marine Corps taught me, is that if you're doing something, you need to do it right. And, and that's really interesting, though, because you hear of so many new authors who sit there procrastinating, deliberating about that first book. Some people take two years to write it. You took 61 days to write yours. What kind of prep was involved in that? Did you do reading research beforehand or did you just crack on with it? But this, this is a advice I would give to a new author who says, I want to write a book, but I'm not sure about what. I would say for your first book, write what you know. My first book was uh, – it became the End Times Alaska series, but I fancied myself a prepper because where I live, I live uh, north of the 65th latitude. It's, uh, it's way – the hell up here. It's 150 miles from the Arctic Circle. And I thought, hey, if we lost power and the support structure of the nearby city, what would life look like? So I didn't need to research too much because I didn't want to know too much when the as the characters went through the story. So I gave myself an opportunity to learn. And I found out that I really suck as a prepper because I love coffee. I, I like toilet paper and flush toilets. There's a lot to be said for that stuff. So I, I'm going through the story and I say, oh, hey, now about this. So I 
drive out to a location, look and research it, and and then and then write that part of the story. And it, it was a learning adventure for me. And and beside that, even if the book, I published the book myself. It only sold like fifty six copies, of which I think fifty of them my dad bought because uh, he loved it and he loved giving copies out. He was my biggest uh, my biggest fan. Uh, but then a publisher saw it and said, hey, this has potential. So they uh, we signed a contract. They edited it. We broke it down into three parts. But the, the big win from that was I was teaching myself how to write and how to tell a story, and I had good people. Even though it was a small group, such good people provide great advice. Hey, this is a great story. What about this? What about this? And then when the editor hit it, oh, here's the language. Here's your flow. This character is a little bit out of sync. At this point in the story, and you get that kind of feedback. It's like, oh my god, this is coming together. It's like a real story now. Uh, just being an indie doesn't mean you can't tell a real story. And there are such great independent authors out there. I uh, I actually only read indie published stuff now. There's so much of it, and it's so good. So, are you telling me then? Then that first book was that was that traditionally published? Then I published it myself. However, I unpublished it when the traditional publisher picked it up. So yes, it, it became three. And then I did write a sequel because I kind of, kind of left it hanging in the fans. It became a bestseller and the fans were like, Hey, what's, what happens next? What, what happens next? Cause I, I left it on a, a high note, a positive note. However, that wasn't a, it didn't complete the story arc. So I, I signed a contract and wrote a fourth book and that's the uh, four book end times Alaska series, which uh, you can pick up in Barnes Noble. It's in uh, it's in brick and mortar stores now. And, it's uh, almost makes me look like a real author. The majority of my books are self-published, and those are doing really well. I've got one that's on the bestseller list right now that we published yesterday, and that was just a compilation of short stories. Not just. They filled in gaps within my my nomad storyline, but it's sitting atop the bestseller list right now. The frequency, the velocity of being able to publish, uh, I had to I had to leverage them pretty hard to get one book a month published, and they would only do that for three months with a, the fourth book going uh, four months later. And I wanted a velocity of one to two books a month, and it, it just – it didn't work for me because uh, the, the pipeline for traditional published is is so long. You can't finish a book today, get it edited. You look at it, hey, this is a great book. It's got a great cover. That blurb is spot on. And then say, hey, you're going to publish it next week? Oh, no, that'll be three months from now. We have to work it into a slot. And and publishing the paperbacks, in order to get into a brick-and-mortar store like Barnes & Noble, you have to get space on their bookshelves. They do that traditionally in about February. So book four of the End Times Alaska series is not going to be made available in paperback form until next year. Sure, they could they could publish it today, but they're going to do it. When they can present it to Barnes and Noble, and then Barnes and Noble will pick it up and add it to the uh, the original End Times one through three that they put into a single book. So that's shelf space. It's 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 the different mindset between traditional publications and self published. Self published, I can put out ten books this month and nobody cares. There's no pipeline issues, and even if you go wide, there's no issues if you do it yourself. You're not trying to work into somebody else's timeline. What did self-publishing look like to you then? Coming from that traditional environment, uh, did you just upload your files and see how it went, or did you take some time to, to learn what to do? I, I tried to learn what to do. I had a, I had a lot of uh, difficulties with that. It just didn't – nothing resonated. 
there aren't this a year and a half later, there aren't the resources there are now. I, I did, as you said, first. I, I threw it out there. I uploaded it. It had a cheesy, horrible cover. It didn't have a good name. Uh, it had an okay blurb. And uh, my dad and friends from high school, they came through and with shining colors and, and picked it up and read it. And I got a lot of great feedback. I got a lot of uh, good feedback in regards to cleaning up the language. So I uploaded a new copy because you can do that in ebooks. Uh, I was exclusive to Amazon and uploaded one. Hey, somebody else caught a typo, fixed it uploaded another one there's probably 10 or 12 copies of uh, of that first book before i unpublished it and we got a professional editor put on a new cover uh, put it put a name to it that actually would help it sell so uh, there was a lot to learn i learned as i went nothing you do in self-publishing is gonna is gonna cut your throat you're not gonna kill yourself it, it uh you can manage that effort because even if you do horrible things and people blacklist you you can always come out with a pen name and and start over this it's it's a great world it's a great it's the 21st century and it's a great time to be a self-published author so having seen both options having been traditionally published and have somebody mopping your brow and and doing the editing and giving you all that advice it must have been quite a steep uh, learning curve then to, to go and do it all yourself without that support team I was I was running dual track because I wrote that book last in 2015. I wrote the book that would become End Times Alaska, but it didn't. It didn't. The uh, traditional publisher didn't pick it up till April, and the first one was published in June. By June, I had four other books published, so I was already self-publishing. However, as we hit those, the, the traditionally published books hit the street. I, I was then learning and rolling that back into self-publishing. But they don't share all their secrets. Of course not. Nobody nobody will generally. Michael Anderley will. But other people generally won't take, uh, uh, share all their secrets because they have to have their business advantage. Uh, we as authors do too. We have our competitive advantage. We have our, our newsletter lists that are sacrosanct. We don't share those with people. Uh, we might throw in a book or two, but still this is our thing. Uh, there's still some things that you need to learn yourself, and by self-publishing, you know that you find out that the mystique isn't so mysterious, that people have built great newsletter lists. They've built great readership. They may have an in with other elements of the publishing industry, but that doesn't mean you can't get there. The mountain is not too high to climb. You can do it as an independently published author. I I like being a hybrid. My publisher has treated me well, and I'm not speaking poorly of them. This, they have helped me. They have helped me gain credibility. They have shown my other books to people, and uh, they send me a nice royalty check once a quarter because my books, they're selling, uh, and it's their vested interest that they sell. So it, we all win if we turn one person out there into a reader. And if you bring a reader on board, if you have a backlist, they might get to all your stuff. And that's – I have 25, 30 titles now, and that's uh, that has a certain value. Yeah, that made me laugh, actually. When I was reading around about you on your websites, you've put – you're on track to publish 10 books in 2016. And I thought – I think we, I think we've added a few more since then. <laughs> it's quite – Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually need to fix that. I, I don't go to that part of my website, so I'm not – yeah, yeah, 10 books, and oh, yeah, and I, I hit 10 books uh, way early in 2016 because I'm up to, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> more than that. 
you started with a book of 100,000 words. You split that into three. So when you started yes. to write for yourself, what kind of length were you writing to? I was shooting for 70,000 words. And as I was on K boards, I was on uh, the, the 20 books to 50K, just trying to find out what that wheelhouse is for a book that's not too long, that can have a decent price, that you can get a good page read off the Kindle Unlimited without being it so cumbersome that you're writing these, uh, these uh, L. Ron Hubbard length books. So 70,000 and 60 to 70 is a nice wheelhouse. And generally that has expanded now from 50,000 to 117,000 words is my longest. And that's a post-apocalyptic, which that's obscene for a PA book. So that could be the longest PA book anybody has ever written. And then you mentioned 20 books and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about this towards the end of the interview, but I just want to touch on it because when, when did that come on your radar? When did Michael Andale come on your radar? How did you get involved with that? I came to that group, not late, but, but, but in the middle, it was already there and its history had already rolled on. So I'm just interested about the orange, origins of it really, because you're one of the founder members, aren't you? So to speak. I think I'm one of the first 50. Yes. I, I was on K boards looking for information. It was just dumb luck in the timing. I was looking for information to publish my book. I published the book. It was going nowhere. I was looking for more help. And uh, here's this Michael Anderley guy saying, hey, I've got three books published. And oh, my God, look at they're taking off. Here's what I do. Oh, I'm like, OK, hey, that, that sounds right in my wheelhouse. I, I can write a book a month. I'm not, not concerned about that because I already was. The first book wrote uh, took 61 days, and I've tracked all my books since then. And the longest I've taken to write a book since then was 35 days. After that, I haven't taken more than uh, 28 days to write any book, no matter like even 117,000 words. That one, oh, that one actually took 31 days to write 117,000 words. So, th but that's uh, so Michael, he's going to say, "Hey, I started this. I'm going to start this Facebook group." I'm like, "Hey, man, can I join?" And I came over. I was one. Of, I wasn't one of the uh, that that very first group of five or ten, but I was in right away. And Michael was very open with his advice and and and, he, and very helpful. He helped me personally back then, and he helps me to this day. I talked to him yesterday, and we had a good conversation about uh, uh, the latest book we published. Uh, in order to how how do we maximize uh, the the conversations are a little more in depth. Uh, how do we max maximize the monetization of the series? without while keeping and expanding the readership those those kinds of conversations now as opposed to hey man you know your cover really sucks that was our that was my first conversation with uh, with michael <laughs> we all have to start somewhere don't we <laughs> oh that's right that's right thanks michael hey, I'm, I'm not saying this to be mean i'm saying this because i love you I, I can turn you on to my cover artist hey no i'm good man i i, I have because uh, tom edwards out of the uk Right after that, I was able to get him on board to do uh, my uh, my free trader covers, and they are they are all nice pieces of artwork and great covers. And thanks to Tom Edwards, which I I now have like fifteen Tom Edwards covers. So you're writing a, a lot, then very fast. But what what does that boil down to in in words per day? Do you have a kind of quota that you write? I did the calculation. I've been writing full time for seven hundred and some days now. And I have just over 2 million words published. <clears throat> so it comes out to 2,850 words a day, every single day, holidays included, 24-7, uh, uh, 365. So my target per day now, because I'm, I'm running these uh, the 20 books conventions, uh, as well as collaborating 
and uh, uh, managing one of the uh, uh, areas within the Cartharian Gambit universe. So my writing time is limited, and now I'm down to about – I just shoot for 2,000 to 2,500 words a day. But that's every day. I write every single day. Including weekends? Yes, yes, and holidays. And, and what would be – do you know the, the maximum words you've ever written in a day? 11,029. <laughs> wow. And, and how long – Sorry, how long would that take you to, to have done that? Would that have been you at your desk all day? It would have been me at my desk for about 14 hours. And and that burns me out. I, I can't do that. I've done 10,000 on multiple occasions. But the next day, I get nothing. I get 500, 1,000 words maybe. And, and then the day after that, the same thing. So uh, 13,000 over three days, whereas when I'm in, a, in the groove, I wrote one book, my Cygnus Space Opera, book two. I wrote 108,000 words in... 16, 17 days, which comes out to about 6,000 words a day. But that's, I varied between 5,000 and 7,500. That's okay. I could do that day after day. But when I, when I surge up to 10,000, I can't write a 30,000 word book in three days. I can, I, I can't do that. I can maintain a certain speed, especially when I really know the story and I'm into it. But generally, uh, 3,500 words is a good pace when I'm starting out uh, because you're, starting to, you're trying to bring these elements together. The way I write a book is I write the first chapter, and I write the last chapter. I separate them out, and then I write everything in between because I know how it starts, and I know how it ends. But then the details in between to keep it interesting, keep the action flowing, flesh out the characters. So at the end, when you see them in this new aura, it's like, oh, that's, that's how they got there. So that's that's my that's my methodology. And, and so is each writing day planned? Do you know where you go in each writing day? Uh, I do not. I, I am what you know what you call a pantser, uh, seat of my pants. I have an idea on the outline in my head, but generally when I look at it, I read the previous paragraph just to uh, remember where I am, and then flow from there. What's the flow? What if I was a reader? What would I want to know next? What would be funny? What would be what would be gripping? What's a good way to end this section where the reader says, "I, I need to keep reading. I need to find out what happened." Not a cliffhanger, but boy, uh, what's going to happen next? And that's uh, that's a Michael Anderley trick. He said his his goal with all of his books is that when somebody picks it up, they cannot put it down until they hit the end. And that's I think James Patterson lives by that as well. He wants people just to read and devour the books and say, man, this is, this is it. What's next? Uh, 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 Mickey Spillane, he said, the first chapter sells this book. The last chapter sells the next book. We, we, want, we want readers to like what they read, keep flowing through it, and when they get to the end, they're like, oh, man, when's the next one coming out? That is how you build that readership from a, a small group of, of fans to a nice foundation where when you launch a book, you launch it to number 200 overall on Amazon on the day it launches because your fans are waiting. They want to know what happens next. One of the things that interests me with you writing so fast is that the thing that tends to slow the process down is editing. You've got to, you've got to go through it, read it. It takes time to do that. If you don't get your plot right first, you, you've got to do some rewrites, and then it has to go or usually goes to somebody else, uh, and that delays the process, the delays that I know you didn't like with traditional publishing. What what does that revision process look like for you? Well, this, this is where we've, we've refined things. It used to take uh, – I would take a month. I finished that first book, and I said I'm going to not look at it for a month, and then I'm going to look through it. 
well, I did that, and then I rewrote it uh, four or five times and edited and edited. After 20 times, I'm like, I can't read this thing anymore. So I revised my process down. I, I write the book. I read it as I go and edit. And as soon as I'm done, I'll do one last quick read, which could be a spot read or a, 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 a skim. And then I send it to my editor, who I have on salary, and she will return it. If, if it's a longer book, I'll send it to her in chunks, uh, 30,000 words, uh, 40,000 words. And so when I send that last chunk, I will get it back in two to three days after that. So from the second I hit the end until I publish is generally uh, six or seven days because my editor will have already been up with me. Uh, she's going to deliver it back. Uh, we have a just-in-time beta reader team. I have the best team in the world, I will contend, and they will get me feedback in one day. Uh, the 117,000-word book they took, uh, we actually gave them four <laughs> days, and, and they got feedback to me back in, a, in two days on that one. So they can devour a 60 or 70,000-word book, find the typos, find the grammar miscues, find, find inconsistencies, and I can clean those up in, in a few hours. So editor – to beta readers, to published, we could actually and, – and the last book, we did that in three days. Well, but you've also got the pipeline of the covers as well, and, and you could only get, you could only spit the covers out as fast as the artists could go. So how, how do you plan that into that sequence? We get the covers before we write the book. So do you write to cover? Because I know that that's – I quite like doing that nowadays, having a cover and then knowing where I'm going with the story. Did you write to cover or, or not? That's well. I have the idea of the story. We we uh, get with the cover artist, and what we did with uh, Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, we had a photo shoot, and so we had fourteen hundred different pictures of our models to choose from. We would pick a couple, say it's this scene, and Andrew Dobell, once again out of the UK, does a great job. Uh, he did a great job selecting the artists, uh, the models, shooting the photos. And then manipulating them to make great covers to include that signature typography you see on our uh, the Nomad covers. For the Free Trader series, it was Tom Edwards. He did all that, and I bought those covers. The first three I bought after I wrote the book. The next six I bought before I wrote the book because it's so good to have that cover, and you can write to it. You put that scene in there. Uh, I really, really like having the cover before I write the book because I don't like – I'm kind of impatient. I don't like waiting on anybody. So I will order my covers up to six months out, and that's that's where I am right now. I've already ordered all my covers well into next year. Wow. So does that mean you've got a rough idea of what the stories are too? Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. And what about um, the wide or KDP select issue? I, uh, do you do paperbacks as well? Well, sorry, I know you do paperbacks because you put them in the shops, but do you do paperbacks on all your titles? Yes. Yeah. So when I get a cover, it's it's the paperback is assumed. Okay, and when, when you're getting the paperback covers, um, because again, this could be a, another bit of a nuisance with this, is, is getting the spines aligned and all those kind of things. Are, are you just going for the front cover? Or are you doing the whole thing? We're doing the whole thing. Right, okay. Cause it can, and it can, yes, I have the e- ebook cover first, but it, uh, so I don't finish the back cover text until after the book's written because you got to get that blurb right. Because uh, sometimes what I intend to write isn't exactly what I write, so the blurb will change. Is written, and they're going through Create Space, are they? 
Uh, yes, I use CreateSpace. Okay, and then and then the other question there was um, why do KDP select with the eBooks? Yeah, uh, KDP select. Uh, the, our targeted readership reads uh, fifteen to thirty books a month, so KU works very very well for them. They will read every single word we put down. So. Uh, 60, I think that last calculation, 65% of our revenue was on Kindle Unlimited. So it's we cater to the readership that is Kindle Unlimited. If we pulled out and went wide, those readers wouldn't necessarily come with us, and I suspect that most of them would not, simply because uh, we have an older demographic that's retired, and for their $10 a month, they're getting they're getting their money's worth. And we like to feed them with stories. Here, hey, here's our stories. Our biggest fans are retirees, so this is their entertainment. Much better than TV. Uh, if you watch any TV, you, you realize that it's melting your brain. Whereas stories, read the written word, man. Okay, so you'll have heard though uh, the arguments about should we go wide if we go KDP Select? You know, we're 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 beholden to Amazon. Where, where yeah. I mean, clearly you've gone for Select, but. What are your feelings about that? Is, you know, is there that risk that Amazon may pull the rug from under our, from right underneath us, and we might lose our income? I don't think they would because they do make money off it. Uh, Amazon is the big gorilla, uh, and this is they're, they're earning their niche. Okay, at point zero zero four cents per page, it's kind of low. Uh, however, uh, Michael's perspective is if some if J.K. Rowling, who is the most successful author of all time, can be in Kindle Unlimited as well as wide because she could negotiate that, uh, then somebody like uh, LMBPN, which is Michael Anderley's publishing company, we had 32 million page reads last month. 32 million, that's leverage. We're going to try to negotiate with Amazon to see if we can be in Kindle Select as well as wide. Why not? It doesn't hurt to ask. And when you have that kind of clout of, of 32 million page reads, uh, you can maybe leverage and, and get that answer to the affirmative because a lot of traditional publishing, it, uh, well beyond J.K. Rowling, are in KDP Select but also publish with uh, with Nook, with iBooks, with uh, the other publishers. That's a phenomenal number of page reads. I have dreams about things like that. That's incredible. Congratulations <laughs> on that. It's a, it's a real achievement. Sure. Um, sure, sure. Let's also talk about um, collaboration. When, when did collaboration come on the scene for you? In early November last year, uh, Michael Anderley gave me a call. And he's like, hey, I, got the, I have this idea. I have a character, and the, my fans want to, want to know more about this character. He's a f- former Marine. And it's a post-apocalyptic world. Well, you were in the Marine Corps. You're retired. And you've written a number of post-apocalyptic books. At that point in time, I had 10, 10 post-apocalyptic novels written. And, and what he didn't say was, and you write fast. You write a book a month. You can, you can produce, which his fans are, are voracious, which now I'd like to say our fans are, are voracious readers. So it's like, okay, I, I think I can write that character. So he asked, hey, can you write me my first, the first chapter? And and let's review it and see and see if it'll work. I wrote the first chapter. He loved it, and that's that's all she wrote. As simple as that. We collaborated on the first book. Uh, the second through the seventh books 
I wrote and he edited, reviewed the last few because his his universe is expanding. It uh, it went through. He skimmed a couple parts. I said, "Hey, could you check on this? Could you check on that?" And 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 then we published. So that's how that worked. How does the money work with collaboration? Because it's not a simple thing at the moment. Hopefully, it will be in the future. But at present, it's not really easy. One of the biggest things for collaboration on uh, using Amazon is you have to have absolute trust. The Whoever hits publish on Amazon has all the power because if you publish, now you can do your Amazon ads. You're the only one who gets the sales data. Uh, even Book Report can't pull up sales data for series that I'm, I didn't hit publish on, even if, if I'm listed as a co-author. So you have to have that absolute trust, which I do with Michael. Uh, we have uh, done a lot of stuff that that's I, I trust him implicitly. There's there's no question. As a collaborator, and also I've earned that trust with some other people. I have two collaborators on other series where it's where uh, I'm the lead, and we have uh, I'm writing with somebody else, not Michael. And that also it depends on trust. We put that in the contract. I will show you the numbers. I will do this, but there's a limit. Uh, I can't share. I can do a screen capture. But you can't log on to my Amazon account. So so that's how you do it. You have to get that agreement. Uh, as a lawyer, of course, I always recommend contracts. If you have a written contract, then you're you're much better off. So Because of course these collaborations, they can go for 70, 70 years after your death, uh, the, the the royalties coming in. So we are we're yes. thinking long term here, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Because somebody can put new covers on them and seventy years from now, I mean if, if you look at the top one hundred on Amazon sci-fi list, probably 10 or 20 of those people are no longer alive, but their books are there. So that's uh, somebody is selling those and making a profit, and you have to work that in, and we have that in the contract that errs and assigns. This is a, a binding contract without any new material. So if, uh, if your, your son, like Todd McCaffrey, is writing books, that would have to be a separate contract but writing in that world but that world is part of the contract so to write it would have to be a new contract one of the things i haven't asked you yet is you're doing all this writing and i'm interested to know whether you use any tools to to do the writing or are you just a a microsoft word guy all hail microsoft i i use word i format in word i publish in word uh word is the word i know that i have scrivener i don't use it uh i know vellum is a big thing. However, I don't use Apple products and nothing against Apple. I tried using them, but I am such an old MS DOS kind of guy that I just, I, I don't want to learn new stuff, but Apple is, is seamless. It's so easy to use bullshit. Uh, it, I'm used to, to a, a PC and Microsoft. I like this. I like hitting the control key and the very shortcut keys. I know them like uh, the back of my hand. So I, I will use word. But if you are interested, I don't use, I don't use any other. I, I use Excel to track my characters and my storylines. So I use PowerPoint to do my general graphics, like a command and control chart and things like that. I, I that's that's what I use. And how do you learn? Where where I mean, you you are the twenty books team is it seems the self-publishing world at the moment you team just taking everybody by by storm and everybody's looking to you uh, for best practice so so where do you go to learn we have such great people uh, as part of 20 books and, and who have uh, uh, dipped in and uh, 
I'm an admin on the on the 20 books to 50k Facebook site. Uh, members there, some folks who just want to see are AG Riddle is one of the people there. Hugh Howie, uh, Mark Dawson, uh, Joanna Penn, uh, Lindsay Baroker, uh, Chris Fox. There's such a broad variety of people who we can learn from, and and those are the kinds of people I ask when I have questions because the 20 books group, there's such a fountain of knowledge in there. You learn what you can. If you have a, a, a more in-depth question or a very more specific question, you can ask that of the good people there without stepping on toes because especially if it's a question that's, that hasn't been answered and is, and is pretty high level or more in-depth. So uh, uh, those people, they all touch on, at, uh, in one way or another. That's the great thing about an author group that has over 12,000 people. You can assume six to eight thousand are fairly new, zero books to maybe one or two books, which is a great place. If you've written one book, well, you're better than ninety-nine percent of the population that said, "Boy, I always wanted to write a book." Well, you actually did, and that's a great thing. And now you have that story down. You can always do something with it. You can't edit a blank page, but if you've got a book, then you can do something with it. And, and as that group grows, how many self-published authors are there who are in the six-figure club, making more than a hundred thousand pounds, hundred thousand dollars a year, that uh, that you can talk to. In the twenty books group, there's a number of them. We have ten percent, fully ten percent of the people coming to the Las Vegas conference, uh, four hundred and twenty people right now. So ten percent, forty-five, I think at last count, are making six figures or more, which is uh, well outside the normal boundaries. What ninety percent? Of authors, self-published, of, of all authors, not just self-published, make $10,000 or less a year. Well, I'm pretty well on this podcast recommending you all the time now. I used to go to a site called Kindling, which until you came along was was the best. And, and now you're the one I'm recommending all the time. And interestingly, I interviewed um, Joanna Penn the other day for this podcast. And she said that oh, you'd, you'd invited her to, to, to speak on stage. And she just actually wants to come along and learn from you, which must be very yeah. flattering for you. That that is uh, yeah that when she said that because I, I thought well hey she's a big name she does uh, she helps people so well with her podcasts with her books with her blog and it's like it's like Chris Fox as well everything you need to know you can get for free sure if you want to buy their book it's condensed it's easier to digest but they still make it available for free and that's what Indies supporting Indies is all about. So good on Joe Penn for for coming first off and second that, hey, I just want to be in the audience. That's great. Uh, uh, Mark Dawson, I said, hey, do you want to come and watch? And he he offered – he volunteered to speak. So it's like, okay, hey, we'll we'll put you on stage because people want to hear your message. You have such a great story to tell, and you have such great information to share in regards to ads and marketing. And let's talk about that because I've been through the – Mark Dawson, uh, you know, School of uh, Facebook Marketing, and I'm just co- co- uh, consuming Brian Meeks's book at the moment. I think Brian Meeks is on in Vegas. I think I saw the other day as well. Um, he's he, he's the Amazon Ads chap at the moment, isn't he? He's the go-to guy for that. Um, so, how do you market your, uh, your books? We use we use Facebook ads. We use Amazon ads. However, however, we're all about organic in that our readership. And this was something that Michael uh, Anderley talked about uh, a year and a half ago. He said, I can make a decent living if I have 10,000 dedicated fans. 
and and I'm publishing a book a month. Well, his fan base is is, is bigger than that, but that's that's our premise. Uh, uh, the money that I'm making is based off a, a readership. I'm closer to that ten thousand. 10,000 loyal fans who are waiting on my next book. And so I can presume a certain number of sales as long as I deliver quality in a way that they they can digest, which means it has to be on Kindle Unlimited because that's 70% are are reading that. It has to have strong characters in certain ways because 70% of our readership is uh, is female as well. So we have to deliver in a way that that isn't – we absolutely won't write anything that's misogynistic and stuff like that. So we can't go down certain paths, but that's okay. That's not me. I'm still writing what I want to write. <clears throat> but this core group of dedicated fans, uh, Mark Dawson, his fan base is more like 100,000. So how do we take our fan base of 10,000 and grow that to 100,000? And our, our methodology is we build that backlist first. So we're doing really well with a small core group of very dedicated fans, but eventually we want to expand that. And once we have the books, we have the books. We can put on new covers because uh, the books are quality as people find typos. So a year from now, you're going to look at a book that uh, – or a series that's three-quarters of a million words with no typos or the grammar sound. There's no inconsistencies, and here's some new covers, and look at this package. You can read for days and weeks and – it's the same story with characters, gripping tales, doing great things, and and uh, happy happily ever after. So marketing right now is keeping the readers happy through engagement. If they send an email, we answer them. If they, uh, if they post on Facebook, we post back. Uh, we do a lot of Facebook uh, social engagement. We do blog posts uh, regularly. And uh, and some advertising marketing, but our marketing budget, my marketing budget for August was only about two hundred and fifty dollars. So that was uh, uh, one one hundredth, actually less than one one hundredth of my revenue. So uh, I uh, slacked off. Probably pay for that come uh, come October. But <clears throat> and what if you uh, help building that core group is important. And what if you're on your first book then, or you haven't written your first book, and you're listening to this thinking, you know, wow, this is a million miles away, uh, 10,000 readers, 100,000 readers, that's so unattainable. If I just need to focus, I'm a brand new writer, what, what should I do? Write it. You have to, for me, the key was writing every day, studying the craft, because if you want to be a pro- professional in any industry, and you're, you're, you're talking to a lawyer here, I spent a lot of time in books, writing, and in class, studying to be a lawyer. Well, you want to be a writer. You don't just magically uh, uh, become a writer. You have to write to be a writer. So write, study your craft, and study what you need to know at the time you need to know it. If you haven't written your first paragraph yet, you don't need to know anything about marketing. What you do need to know is how do I write this gripping first paragraph? How do do I write from third person or first person? What is my genre? So, And that you get from reading. I would recommend that you write what you like to read because if you don't, if you're trying to write in a completely different genre like me trying to go write in romance or, or heaven forbid, erotica, I, I don't read that stuff. I have no idea. What what would I do? And that that is a pretty high mountain to climb. If First, I, I suspect all writers are readers. Write what you like to read because now you know the genre, you know the, the trope what you're looking for when you when you pick up that book and then write write every single day get feedback if you can from people who know that genre 
uh, if it's science fiction, if it's uh, if it's fantasy, if it's uh, uh, mysteries, whatever it is, try to get some feedback. Join an author group like 20 Books to 50K. You don't have to post anything. Just read. Just listen. Watch. And, and take those lessons, and if, and if you're having problems with craft, find a group that will help you improve your craft. There's some, there's some people who have problems telling the story. They have it great in their mind, but when they start putting the words down, well, maybe outlining will help you in order to better shape that. Now go study outlining. So study what you need to know at the time you need to know it. And interestingly, you write in multiple genres. So you're doing um, sci-fi, dystopia. There's quite an overlap there, I, I know. And you're doing the military stuff, and then you're doing uh, thrillers as well. So Some people would say, well, just stick to one genre. But it seems to be working very well for you. The, it, 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 my first four books were in three different genres. So I would suggest that you write in one genre until you get your legs under you, until you uh, are well-established. So I was I had two different tracks that uh, weren't mutually supporting at the time. So that's I wouldn't recommend that. I think that held me back at the beginning, even though, yes, when you're publishing a book a month, nothing's really holding you back. But if you're if you have a full time job and are publishing one book every six months and your first three books are in three different genres, that's years, years it's going to take you to build that readership. So it, it it is important to stay in the same genre until you have you become established. I want to talk about the events that are being organised through twenty books because we've got uh, your your this interview that we're recording now is going to run before the uh, twenty books Vegas event, which is November the third and fifth. And then the the minute you announced it, I booked in. I hope I was one of the first to book at uh, in London <laughs> yes. in February yes. the third to fourth because um, I was having been in your group. I just knew this was. I, you know, it's a no-brainer, as they say. I was just going to book it straight away and go because, to me, it's going to be the best indie author event uh, of the year in the UK. So, just tell us about these events and where where the idea came from and how it grew out of the community. When Twenty Books first started the Facebook group in 2016 through uh, the summer and fall, and it was and it was growing. It was uh, the the Rolling Stone, Gathering Moss, getting bigger and bigger. I talked to Michael and. He's like, man, if people really want a conference, I said, yeah, you know what? I've, I've, I've organized a number of conferences. I've organized like maybe seven, I think, in my life. And I said, I'll do it. And he's like, okay, I, I'll be separate from it. But if you do it, it'll be okay. I'll support. Just tell me what you need. And so uh, contacted, uh, started contacting some people. And uh, we said, hey, how about uh, ran a couple polls on the Facebook page and got about 150 responses. Like, okay, that's enough. So I, I targeted my, – my initial number was 150. I was looking for a venue for that, and Michael's wife, uh, Judith, came through with uh, uh, Vegas with some venue options. said, hey, here's three or four. Here's their, their offers, and we talked to Samstown. They had the best offer across the board. They were off the strip, so it was, it was a little bit cheaper. There's another event on that weekend, and, and there we are. We have a conference, and as soon as we put out the word, hey, we've got a conference – uh, we could use some guest speakers. We got a nice uh, a variety of people, and not just a variety of people to speak, but then the high-end authors, the ones that if I were to look at it now and say, hey, I want this exact group, that's the one. those are the ones who came forward. And I didn't know it at the time that these – this is like an all-star cast of speakers, and it uh, they must have coordinated amongst themselves and said, hey – 
this is what we want to do. This is going to give us great exposure. However, this is a great way to give back, and it's Vegas, baby. So uh, uh, we have them coming, and they're they're going to present. And so you can't get better than that. In in London, it'll be a little bit different lineup. However, it's still the All Star team. These are great uh, great speakers who write nonfiction about the self publishing industry. Yeah, you're going to get a great uh, a great show in either place. Uh, and then there's 20 books Bali in 2019, but that's uh, that's a completely separate issue. So, well, let's just dig into the Bali one because I was reading that. What what's the deal with Bali? Have you got to have 20 books written by then? Bali is about celebrating success. Uh, Vegas and London are about uh, the business of writing. What do we need to do to be successful as self-published authors? Bali is about uh, realizing that success. It's going to be very expensive to get to. Where our, the conference fee for Vegas is $99. The conference fee for London is £165, and that was about the cheapest we could uh, we could do that one for and bali is going to be 2000 to 2500 for a conference fee however we're going to make that all inclusive where your hotel room will be covered all the meals will be covered for you and your spouse but so it's kind of a high buy-in but it's also a vacation and that the premise behind that is that we're celebrating success we're celebrating the uh, ability to pay for a vacation based solely on our publishing income by making the conference fee 2000 or 2500 and then making it inclusive for uh, you, your spouse, maybe even your kids, you can deduct that conference fee, whereas if you went uh, under U.S. tax law, whereas if you did that separately, you went on this vacation and you wrote while you were in Bali, you would not be able to conduct uh, uh, deduct your wife's expenses or your kids or some of that other stuff. But here you can because the conference fee it, you, is fully deductible 100%. So that's why we're doing it. it. We're celebrating the success of being self-published authors. So that's something to aim for for everybody uh, listening to that. Now, um, as far as London <laughs> is, I mean, I, I'm UK-based, but I mean, my, my view of this is I, I used to be in internet marketing. And, and i got to tell you, I've paid um, £5,000 to get in a room with internet marketers, you know, who are on the kind of level of the speakers that you're going to have. And, and also just to remind people, you've got Joanna Penn, who's just attending. You might just be sat next to her, uh, in the audience. Yeah. You know, this is the biggest networking opportunity for independent authors in the UK of the year, isn't it? And you, <laughs> I mean, uh, without wanting to big it up too much. If you want to be really is. yeah, you've got to do it, haven't it you? It really is. Laxmi Harahan will be there as well. Uh, we're having there's so many there's so many high end authors. Probably out of that show, we've we currently have I think seventy signups. We're going to cap it at one fifty. Uh, that'll be fast and furious as we get towards the end for for signups. But we have to cap that one at one fifty because we've got a hard stop on the room. Whereas Vegas, our that room will hold six fifty if we really want to push it. But I, I don't want to get that many. The uh, uh, London show, it's going to be – you'll have tables, so you'll be able to set up your laptop and take notes that way if you want. Uh, the presenters, there's full presentation uh, with speakers and, and screens and stuff like that, and it's all self-contained. Everything will be right there in the hotel, running meet on Tams, and uh, you'll have this group. I'm, I'm building in very long breaks, uh, two sessions, maybe an hour and a half, followed by a half-hour break. 
So you have that time to go ask the former speakers uh, questions, ask future speakers, look at name tags and say, oh, my God, you're you're that person. And, and go talk to them and, and ask smart questions. Don't just say, hey, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Can you help me sell my stuff? No, don't do that. Talk to them about, hey, I'm doing this. Can you make maybe make a recommendation to help me tweak that or something like that? Or, hey, I like the way you did that. Your new website, Mark Dawson, is awesome. Well done. That's uh, that, Those are the kinds of things that make a difference. Yeah, it's going to be just a brilliant networking event. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, thank you for organizing that. And I know you're working really hard on the stage and behind the scenes for that. So thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. Um, oh, which, sure. Which brings me to my, my sort of final question is um, at the beginning of this interview, you told me you were supposed to be retired, Craig. So what? <laughs> any, any plans to retire anytime soon? Because you must be on a roll now with these books. I I, <laughs> I am. And that's uh, kind of the the ego stroke is – uh, the fans getting fan mail, getting uh, uh, number one bestseller orange tags on on the books uh, uh, that we publish. That's okay, but still, like like today, as soon as I get off here, I'm going to take my dog for a walk because I'm working from home. I, I always work from home. I've got to get dinner in the crock pot. Uh, we're going to have bacon uh, bacon chicken in the crock pot. It's really righteous if uh, you, you wonder about that. And then I'm going to go get some water because where I live, I actually have to haul my own water. I go into town and I fill a big water tank on the back of my truck. So I'll do that. And then I'll come back. I'll write some more words. And that's that's my life. So I'm about as retired as I can possibly be. I, I'm way too mentally active to retire. Some people will do crossword puzzles. They'll watch, uh, they'll watch TV and and do other things. For me, it's actually telling that story and getting into that story, uh, doing some management issues with the conferences, uh, doing some collaboration stuff. I publish anthologies. I have, uh, oh, geez, what am I up to? 70 different authors in anthologies that I pay royalties to uh, based on, uh, on how those books are selling and stuff. It's all great stuff. It keeps me very active, uh, just like uh, Alzheimer's. To fight that, they say you crossword puzzles and things like that to keep your mind active. I'm keeping my mind plenty active. I turn 55 next month, and and I've been retired fully now for two years, and I've never been busier, and I've never been happier. So I think this is a a great life. At some point, I may stop uh, writing the words. And uh, it'll be okay because I've got all these books now that I can market and do that kind of stuff. So it, it is a great life if you can do it. And uh, I encourage everyone to shoot for what they really want in life. If you want to be a writer, well, you figure out, hey, here's what it costs to get my health insurance to do this. Because in America, we have health insurance. In, uh, in the UK, you, you, you get it as part of uh, being a, a citizen, as you should. And then what does it take to live? And then you, you estimate that, and then you go after it. Work hard at the right things, and you will be rewarded. Well, I want to congratulate you on an amazing achievement in such a short time, and long may it continue. Just to finish off, could you just let us know where we can find out about you online? Uh, CraigMartell.com, C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com. That's the place to go. That's fantastic, Craig. Thanks ever so much for speaking to us on the podcast today. Hey, thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.